the stereotype for solo poly I think I see on like online forums and things like that is you don't want to have any serious relationships. You just want to have casual relationship. Totally not the case for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Like I very much wanted, and I think that's why I was attracted to Tim in the first place. I very much wanted a committed relationship. I just didn't want an enmeshed relationship Mm -hmm. where I was sharing my finances, my house. Like I wanted my independence. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 243. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Tim and Melissa. They've been together for about five years, and we have a wonderful, wide-ranging conversation with them. Yeah, this is sort of a first for us, which we're pretty excited about in that Tim and Melissa uh, have been together a few years, but, you know, Melissa is identifies as solo polyamory, and she's going to talk a lot about what that means to her. And Tim's been in a relationship with his nesting partner for almost 30 years. And so we kind of get a little bit of a different look at a polyamorous relationship and how they've made that work. And they talk a lot about hierarchy and coming out and nuance and just and sex friends. And kids. And kids. And so many amazing things. And so, yeah, thank you, Tim and Melissa, for coming on, for reaching out, and for letting us get your story out in the world. Before we jump into the interview, we do have another announcement about our shirts. Well, hold on. Should we also announce that Emma might have COVID? <laughs> I don't people, know if we need to announce People that. might have figured out that you're not quite the healthiest today. You may not have. You may have noticed in my voice that, yes, I do have COVID right now. So Finn does not. Hopefully he doesn't get it, but we are kind of close together right now sharing a microphone. Yeah. (laughs) Shared a car for four days. We share a bed. We share a microphone. Yeah. So we're testing out my vaccines and I'm building up antibodies. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Sorry. All right. Back to the shirts. The shirts are super awesome and we're super excited about them. Emma, tell everybody about the shirts. You weren't ready for that. No, I wasn't. All right. I'll tell everybody no, about I, the shirt. I, I'm sorry. I'm so like. The, the shirts? We're still talking about the shirts. Can you cut this out? No, I'm not cutting this out. Please. You don't get any free passes just because you have COVID. All right. The shirts. So we launched the shirts last Friday on wait, wait, July wait. 1st. Uh-oh. I want to do it. Okay. So the shirts. I know I'm going to give away the design, but they say give love on them and they have our logo. They don't say anything about non-monogamy because we wanted to make a shirt that people could wear uh, without necessarily outing themselves. Is that something that they're worried about? So the shirts we launched on Friday, July 1st, they're going to be available until July 22nd. Yeah. And so they were available to our people on our email list and our Patreon community, but now they're available to everyone. So all you have to do to go look at the design that you don't actually need to look at anymore because Emma already told you about it. You just go to no, our home. Go, go check it out. It's cool. <laughs> you go to the homepage. You just go to normalizingnonmonogamy.com. It's right there. There's links. It will take you over to the website where you can order them. You can order as many as you want. And we would love for you to check them out, get a couple. And just a quick reminder again, these are only going to be available until July 22nd, 2022. 2022. Perfect. 
So now we're going to jump in and talk a little bit about Patreon. However, we're going to do that a little bit different. So if you were just about to fast forward, you're going to want to rewind now. <laughs> and listen. So rather than us talking about it, we've gotten some testimonials from people who are actual members of the Patreon community. And they're amazing. And so the first one we're going to play is from Pam of Pam and Jim of episode 232, which she's going to tell you anyway. So I don't know why I had to tell you that. <laughs> But a huge thank you in advance to Pam for sending this in and to Pam and Jim for being a part of the community and for everything they've done for the show. And yes, so here's Pam talking about Patreon. Hi, this is Pam. I'm in podcast 232 if you want to check Jim and I out. When I first joined Patreon, I did it because I wanted to support what Finn and Emma were doing. I really thought that um, normalizing non-monogamy was a great effort, and I wanted to see it keep going. What I didn't really realize at the time was that I was going to get to have um, participate between Jim and I in three different Zooms every month. Um, I'm really getting a lot out of the women's group, and I know Jim is enjoying the men's group. And the Q&A, which happens every month as well, is very informative. It's a great community to be part of, and I'm thrilled to have joined. Thanks. And we're back. We are back. <laughs> thank you again, Pam, for everything. Thank you, Jim, for everything. Yes, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, Pam, your, your free shirt's in the mail, by the way. <laughs> Should be there by Friday. I mailed it today. That's what, they, that's what she gets for... Uh, she was the first one to send says, us feedback. Exactly. And we had a couple of extra sample shirts laying around. So your shirt's in the mail, Pam. Enjoy. Also, we wanted to do a quick announcement that we do not have a virtual meet and greet this month. The virtual meet and greets are separate from Patreon. They're open to anyone. We don't have one in July, but we will have another one in August. Correct. And if you're interested in signing up for our email list so you can learn more about those or signing up for the Patreon community, just head over to our website. Again, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Buy yourself a shirt and then sign up for Patreon on the Patreon tab. And then send us an email or a voicemail and tell us how much you love us and love the shirt and love Patreon. And if you have any feedback, we'd love to know that. Even if it's not that you love us. (laughs) And if you want to come on the show, we would love to have that as well. Tim and Melissa or Melissa reached out and they don't have anything to sell. They're just wanting to get their story out in the world. And we would love that from all of you. So with that, let's hear from Tim and Melissa and we'll see you all on the other side. Let's go. Are we ready to do this? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Melissa and Tim. We're so happy you're here today. And uh, we're excited to get to know you both a little bit through this this interview and this conversation. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Yeah. of course. We'd love for you to start with just introducing yourselves and whatever level you're comfortable with. Okay. I'll I'll go first. Go first. Um, So I'm Melissa. I'm... um, how old am I? 45. And, uh, I am, uh, I've been with Tim for five years and we are, uh, I, I identify as uh, solo poly. So I live, yeah. uh, on my own and yeah, I think that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay. And I'm Tim. I am 47, just turned 47, which shocks me to hear myself say out loud. And uh, when, so as Melissa said, we've been together five years. I'm in the context of a, uh, a 29-year monogamous 
turned polyamorous relationship. So that was before Melissa and I met. So I've been polyamorous 11 years. And uh, yeah, so I, I don't know how to identify. Not solo poly, let's put it that way. But we're <laughs> Yeah, because you're still, you're still with that other partner. Yeah, still with that other partner. partner. So, yeah. Yeah. so you live. Nesting, yeah. Nesting partner yeah. is what I would call that other partner. And uh, yeah. And then I don't know what we call ourselves. We don't define Just it. partners. <laughs> partners. Um, yeah, so he lives with his nesting partner and their children. And yeah. we live in the same city about 10 minutes apart. Okay. Got it. Well, I love it. And I think it was one of the things when you reached out and you kind of described your dynamic, you know, we, I wrote back and was like, well, does it make sense to do like two different episodes or does it make sense to do it together? And I think, you know, your, your response was basically like, well, we want to like blow away some of the stigma and assumptions people make around these types of relationships. And, and like, we love that so much. So we're definitely wanting to dig into that, but could we maybe catch ourselves up to like, how did Melissa wind up in polyamory? How did Tim wind up in polyamory? And then how did you two find each other? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Well, so who wants to go first? Uh, <laughs> first. Uh, so like I said, we've been together for five years, but um, before I met Tim, I didn't identify as poly. Uh, I wasn't really that familiar with it, but I had been in open relationships before. Specifically, I'd been sort of in a swinging relationship before in a previous past relationship. So I was, I was very familiar with the concept of having an open relationship and comfortable with it. Like I knew it was something I could do and I wasn't looking for one in particular. I was just, I guess I didn't really know what I was looking for other than a partner. And, um, so I ended up, we, we met online, we met on OkCupid and, um, when I saw his profile, I actually reached out first and he was very clear about being poly and being partnered and being a dad and having limited time. And at the time that we met up, he had an, another partner. And so when I first met him, I, I was very curious about poly and I learned about poly through Tim. And then I went and I read like everything I could find on it. And I really resonated with it, especially solo poly. So that's sort of, I just kind of like jumped in <laughs> and it worked out because I think we were both looking for what the other had to offer. So, um, yeah, so that's sort of my beginning. Love it. Thank you. She literally did read everything there was to read on it. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> it, was, it was great. That was actually one of the attractive qualities, but that's a, that's a, like the, one of the things that really impressed me when I met Melissa was I think I was looking for first somebody who was, who was really keen and eager to understand Polly. And I had a personal rule up until that point about I don't really want to date non, non-poly yeah. people <laughs> and and i wouldn't have called you poly but you were open relationship conscious and really yeah you know you're eager to understand it and i could tell you were poly-minded like you also didn't clearly. necessarily want to date single people either who didn't already have a partner so yeah we broke a couple of yeah. those rules that's <laughs> <laughs> true that's true that's funny <laughs> um yeah. So I anyway, that was a, that was a tangent, but yes, that, so my, my, it's all good. No, and, and I want to come back to it because there is some, there's stuff there. I definitely want to come back to it. So I, cool. I love it, but yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry, Tim. I cut you off. Okay. So my, my background. So, um, so yeah, Melissa came in sort of halfway through my poly journey. I had been in a, in a monogamous relationship with my nesting partner, um, up until that point, probably it was 17 years or so. Um, and I had always had an inkling that, 
I wasn't monogamous and I wasn't, but I, at the, you know, in that trajectory, starting at a, as an 18 year old in relationship, I didn't really understand and probably had all the biases that had come with my family. So I kind of got to this point at, at 17 years having kids where I did a little bit of a, I don't know if that would like, a, like a crisis point where I realized, um, got to listen to myself a little more. So I, I opened the conversation with my nesting partner about, about polyamory. And then we worked through it for several years, actually of talking about how to open up. Cause it was a real culture shock for her <laughs> and for me to try and make that transition. Um, and so that's, that's how I came from it. So really from, so I think by the time Melissa and I w- became involved, I was, I'd had a few relationships. I was really beginning to understand what I needed to a deeper level and had, had noticed in her what was something special, right? Like something that was really jiving with what I, what I needed and was matched well. So that was that's yeah. kind of the trajectory in a nutshell. Yeah. I know, I know, like, I want to talk about the two of you and I just, I'm curious, like, if you could talk a little bit, Tim, about the, the transition of coming out of a 17 year monogamous relationship, cracking that open, going down the poly route and like, how did that transition go for you and for your, for your nesting partner? And are they, do they, are they polyamorous as well? Or is this like a mono poly kind of setup? started as monopoly so that you haven't even heard that phrase for a while and so when you said that like that's how we framed it at the beginning of monopoly um i kind of sort of i saw i've seen it through transition so now it's very much polyamorous my nesting partner dates um sees has you know actually we've really transitioned to a whole different model of poly i would say Mm -hmm. and but at the time Definitely, I'd say, kind of work through the <laughs> the transition phases that go with a massive change like that, which was, you know, moving from um, total resistance, you know, like, and like, oh, God, does this mean we have to break up to, okay, tolerant acceptance that something needs to change to kind of curiosity to the point where actually my nesting partner decided to try dating. And that was the turning point at which we transitioned into active kind of like wholehearted poly like (laughs) moving into like yes let's try this and do this because it's actually good for everybody not just for tim (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah 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 so it was that was a four four year journey probably in that transition so it wasn't a fast very patient lots of time took took endless hours of talking and 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 moving through it so we probably had I think an exceptional amount of patience to work through that. Um, yeah. yeah. So when so. I, yeah, thank you for, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say when I came on the scene, like he had another partner, his nesting partner had another partner. So it already looked like the version of Polly that, that we have today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but it came yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. I, and I just want to say thank you, Tim, for acknowledging that that took time, that that t- was a four year journey, because yeah. I think so many people go in and just be like, oh, I expect it just yeah. to just to yeah. almost happen overnight. And it's like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. This takes often yeah. a long time and lots of patience, lots of conversation. And uh, yeah, so thank you for just yeah. commenting on that piece. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I have so many questions and like, I don't know where to start with them. Like, <laughs> what, I think like, cause I have questions from Melissa about like coming out of, you said like you kind of did a little bit of swinging and some open relationships, but now you're like, you're coming into this 
uh, we'll call it a polycule, right? Like mm-hmm. if Tim had a partner, Tim's partner had a partner, there's, there's four people and you're now coming in there. You're injecting yourself into this dynamic. Like, and this is your, really your first go at polyamory. Like what, what did that look like for you? Like what, what was going on for you as you like jumped into this? I know you were reading everything and probably yeah. listening to everything, but like, how did, how did the reading, how did this, the book work compare to the, the lab work? <laughs> yeah, right. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting because I was learning as I was going and I was having to navigate being a quote secondary partner uh, mm-hmm. almost like a tertiary partner at the beginning because he had, he had had another partner. And I was also learning, I think one of the things I sort of taught them was about hierarchy and how that affects um, the other partners. And not that they were highly hierarchical, but they were in that way that many people who are in that family structure are hierarchical. So it opened a lot of conversations about that. And then my strong need to be autonomous, like to be, well, what I consider solo poly to be is a lot of autonomy and independence, but I took to it. I'd say I took to it really well. Like it felt really natural to me. Mm -hmm. So it was, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't hard, but it felt very natural and it felt like the right kind of relationship structure for me, given what I need and don't need Mm -hmm. in a, in a committed relationship. Yeah, I love that. And can you talk a little bit more about the hierarchy? Because I think I would say where my brain went is probably a feeling of being less than, right? If mm-hmm. you're now the number three partner, but it's also conflicted there with like you want autonomy, but you also don't want to feel less than. So how do you yeah. find a balance of I feel important, I feel loved, but I want some autonomy and freedom? Like because mm-hmm. I think those are those are things that we all want. And they like the relationship dynamics that just happen for us. A lot of the time society, just those things aren't easy to make happen. Yeah. You just asked a a five hour question. right I'll settle in. I I would say from my point of view. So first of all, he did have two partners when I met him, but shortly after we started dating the relationship with the other partner ended. So then it was just his nesting partner and me. And that opened up a lot of, um, time, not a lot of time, but like time for him to spend with me. And so we got close really quickly and realized that we wanted to be together. But you were asking about how the hierarchy affected me, right? Is that? Yeah. yeah. Or or anything along those lines. You, yeah. you do with it as you will. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that in the beginning, um, as it, I think it probably is with many nesting partners with kids, like there was very circumscribed times that Tim was quote free to do things and all of the things he wanted to do outside of the family unit kind of had to happen in that time. And then, so that was me plus whatever else he wanted to do. And at first that was totally fine as we were starting, but as we got deeper into our relationship, it wasn't fine anymore for either of us. So I sort of said, you know, there, and you read about this in the books, it's like, okay, so you guys have this set of like guidelines, I guess it wasn't rules, but guidelines that you've been following. And now I have needs and your, your needs and my needs are similar. And so we just had to kind of work through like, what do I, what are my needs and what are reasonable for, 
for him to meet. And so I never felt secondary in a sense of the feeling like Tim would had never made me feel like a secondary person, but just having to acquiesce to these predetermined guidelines of how our relationship would be structured was challenging. And so, but we worked on it over time so that, you know, over time now we spend more time together than we did at the beginning, for example, which seems to work. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about that? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think a natural, a natural kind of process of negotiation rather than kind of the end shift. I did, I do agree completely. We, we shifted from, I think we had to become really savvy at, at watching the hierarchy, like knowing that there's some cases where hierarchy in itself isn't bad, but the impact of the hierarchy, right? Like that being really cognizant that, that of how that was communicated. For example, like I'm thinking about the hierarchy of having kids versus not having kids and the energy that needs to go into kids, right? Like we didn't really debate those things as, there were, we took them as givens, but you know, the, it's in the delivery of how to navigate that hierarchy, like rather than sort of saying, I, my kids take precedence. Sorry, Melissa, you have to go wait it out. I think it's still like learning to communicate that with sophistication, um, and, and with care. And so I think, I think we've done a really good job of that. And that's just like a kind of really basic example, but I think we had to do that navigation on almost every time when there was time or the resource of human energy involved. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's a constant, you know, I think what you just said about the the, negotiation and you can, you learn how to do that over time. Um, Yeah. Super important. Well, I think that, you know, the end result is maybe even is the same, right? Like Mm -hmm. let's say it's an example of like, uh, Melissa wanted to spend time with you, Tim, but something came up with your kid, right? The end result may be, we're not going to spend time with Melissa, but the way that you can communicate that yeah. it can really be the difference between Melissa feeling less important and, and, and Melissa being like, please, no, go take, like, do your kid is important. I want you to have that time versus like, ah, screw your kid. Like I want me, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's, it's a very big difference there. Like being on a team versus like, I'm now telling you like, nope, not today because yeah. my kid versus like, I mm-hmm. want to, I would love to, but like, you know, this other thing, right? So it's, it's such a, such a delicate yeah, walk to walk. It helps to have the context. And so that's where the talking comes in is the context is like, it's not that I can't spend time with you because someone else is telling me I can't. It's because I have these obligations yeah. that I, that are important for me to fulfill. And, and then here's how I can make it up yeah. to you. Right. Which he's always been very good at doing. Well, I want, I was going to say not always, you're not going to out me on this one, but actually pretty terrible at it at times. So and I think that's one of the biggest learning, like when people talk about ping pong poly and the, the trap mm-hmm. of sort of falling into speaking for my kids needs or my other partner's needs or, and then using that as a lever to convince Melissa that, <laughs> that, that that's why those other needs are why it's important instead of talking about it and owning I have a need to spend time with my kid. I have a need to do whatever thing that's going to take me away from you, right? As a as a partner, and I, I definitely didn't always do a great job. And I think we actually worked hard. Yes, <laughs> and we did. Melissa was I, very good at calling me out on that. It's true. We positively. did. We did have to work through that, and it's <laughs> now it feels really natural. But at the time, it I guess at the beginning, it it really yeah. was a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Can, can you talk a bit more about that? Because I think it's so common and, and maybe what I envision, and maybe this isn't what you meant, Tim, but like, let's say Melissa says, uh, Tim, I'd love to go to the movies with you tonight. And your response is, well, I'd love to go to the movies with you too. But my other partner says we have to have, we're going to dinner tonight. Yeah. <laughs> is that sort of what you were kind totally, of getting at? Totally. Like that's a, yeah. I mean, a simplistic example for sure, but it works, right? Cause it, it's like, so instead of me saying, I really, you know, I, I don't know how I phrase it, but I really value spending that time. I'm, this is important to me and sorry to disappoint you, Melissa, but I, but I, I'm choosing this other thing. Like I'm, actively mm-hmm. choosing this other thing because it's important versus sort of blame shifting and, and putting that on because i'm not allowed yeah. like and <laughs> right. he did that really but he did it, the language was just so important even though it wasn't it, it really isn't that different but you know to say i'm not allowed versus i'm choosing this is just a big difference in owning yeah. owning your decisions mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah. And I think too, the other piece you, you kind of snuck in there was I'm going to choose to do dinner with my other partner tonight. Could we do the movie tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. Right. And yeah. not, and not just leaving it hanging out there like, nope, I can't. Sorry. Tough, you know, tough luck. Exactly. But like, yeah. what, what can we do? Cause that shows then you are just as important. I just can't like, I'm not going to cancel dinner for a movie, but like, could we do the movie tomorrow? Yeah. Or it know, sounds like a poly cliche, but like, Google Calendar does really help with with all that. Like where I'm a scheduler, uh, he's not so much a scheduler, but I'm a scheduler. So I, what we basically have done for the past few years is just like I've put date night questions, like we have a certain number of date nights and then I put them on the calendar where I think would be good. And then he reviews them and says yes or no, or here's my alternate proposal. And then we're going to do that for a month in advance. So we don't have a lot of like, negotiating on time on, on the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's a wonderful point. Yeah. And I, and I love hearing it from like both perspectives right, like to right. have the person who is on, on both sides of that as I don't know, it's amazing. So if, if there's more there that, that like you feel you both kind of like navigated through that, we'd I'd love to hear it. Cause I know this is one, I think it's, it also comes up in the context of like unicorn hunting, right? Or the looking for the third where you, Melissa, are the, the quote unquote third, even though I know you're not necessarily in a relationship with Tim's other partner, but you come in as a, as a less than, even though hierarchy isn't maybe something that was intentional. It's, it is, it is ingrained and built into some relationships Mm -hmm. yeah and you can't expect like i didn't expect like two weeks in or two months into the relationship to Mm -hmm. take any kind of precedence or you know i I had to in a sense earn you know like the trust of my metamor and that i wasn't going to come in and try to take them away or you know that kind of thing so it was a progression with time that maybe some people might be like if you're hierarch, if you're non-hierarchical, then everybody gets treated equally. But I don't think that's true. I think everyone's needs are needs should be considered equally. But that doesn't mean everyone gets the same thing all the time, right? So, and I would never right. expect that. Right, right. There, there was a significant turning point in our relationship. Like, I we we had a near breakup. Well. I thought it was a breakup, but I think we had a miscommunication on that, but, but it was a, <laughs> we were on a break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it sent me into quite a deep, dark spiral, but that, that's a whole other story. But the, the, that po- crisis point I think was 
uh, kind of a reboot to say, I think Melissa was, I won't speak for you, you can tell the story, but my sense at the time was that Melissa was trying to figure out is to what degree is this relationship going to work for me? Like to what degree can I negotiate within and what are my rights as a, as a, well, how would you phrase it? You want to tell the story? Like the rights as a solo polyamory rights as a partner rights as a secondary, like we got into that conversation and I think we had to really renegotiate and, and talk about what is the range that we're both comfortable with where like, maybe we're not going to get all the things, but what, what's the point at which it's not enough versus the point I can live with a little bit of disappointment, right? That, yeah. that fine line. I think that was about maybe a year and a half into the relationship. So it was long enough where I'd been around. I'd sort of felt like I'd kind of proved myself. I was committed. Um, and I sort of like, I, I went away for a weekend and said, I don't want to talk for like X many days. And then I sort of wrote down, I, I like to write things out. And so I kind of wrote down, here are the things that I need, you know, here are the things that I would like, but it's okay if I, you know, don't get them. And so we had like conversations around that. And, and some of the things that I wrote back then would, you know, I look back now and I think, wow, we've accomplished all of that stuff and more, hmm. you know, like, um, you know, I hadn't even, I don't, I think I'd maybe met your kids at that point, but I, we hadn't like, hadn't gotten to know them. And like now it's totally normal. If his nesting partner is away for the week and I just kind of come to their house and hang out with the kids and, and everything now. And it just feels really normal. I know them really well, but there was a time where I thought that would never happen. And then would I really feel part of your life kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that just brings up another question. You can talk about this as comfortable to the level that you're comfortable is around, around children, because that is something that's something that a lot of people ask questions about and we're all trying to, you know, people are trying to figure out how to navigate. And so anything you could touch on about how you navigate that with kids would be great. That's for you. That's for me. Yeah. You're the one with kids. <laughs> I don't have kids. <laughs> Melissa can smile and watch it all unfold. But actually I, I shouldn't say that frivolously because Melissa has been a key part in, in the transition to how I've managed my, my kids and, and, um, keep getting them up to speed on what polyamory means. So I think it's been actually a really interesting process the last year and a half. I'm actually losing Pandemic track. days yeah, or was, two years maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of, one of the things that was personally important to me was tr trying to find a way to make, to normalize polyamory for kids who were in the context of schools where polyamory wasn't even an afterthought um you know and so how do you how do you get kids who are at a certain age to have the sophistication to understand what that is and like how do you find the words to make that make sense and melissa has been around for so so many years so she's seen them through their so preteen your, your kids were how old when we met eight and 12 or something yeah seven and yeah, yeah. 12 something like that and it's, now they're yeah. 16 and even 13 a, maybe even a little bit younger Right. Yeah. Maybe the so, math is wrong there, but yeah. Yeah. But be young enough that they, they didn't have a lot of understanding about dating. They just knew that I went to see Melissa. And one of the things that was really important is I wanted to see, wanted them to know Melissa so that they didn't perceive it as a threat, like that Tim's being taken or dad's being taken away by someone, that she was just part of the normal fabric of the, of, of life. And that was super important to me. And then, 
as time progresses, when kids are little, they're kind of like, oh, it's it's Tim's friend, Melissa. And as you get a little bit, you know, you get they get into the preteen years, you know, they're starting to to know things, right? Like know that there's something <laughs> else. Seeing, they're seeing affection. So they're probably picking up on this. So I think it was, we just, um, my, my nesting partner and I had negotiated this and navigated this and it was an ongoing topic of conversation, how we would manage it. Um, and we essentially kind of were kind of waiting for the kids to give us cues of what they were ready and under the belief that they would be ready to ask questions at some point. And, or that there'd be a door opening when the time was right. And sure enough, my, my daughter actually came home having just had a sexual health conversation in school. <laughs> I think it was grade eight, maybe. And, uh, and, and so it, my, it just happened that my, my nesting partner and I had been sitting on the couch as the kids were coming home for school. And we heard about this, this kind of conversation they just had at school. And Weren't we just talking about like non-traditional families or something as part of that. They were talking about consent oh, yeah. and and non-traditional family. And so we kind of took the lead and jumped on it and then just said, we started getting into diversity and sexual diversity and family diversity. And we said, we kind of just used that as a launch pad um, to talk about diverse family arrangements. And, and it was the craziest thing because, you know, in the context of being a, I guess I was, you know, early forties at the time. I grew up with this stigma of like sex negativity. Kids do not have that anymore. Like that's not part of the, the fabric. So at least not you know, in our liberal town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's true. That's Depends true. Where we, you live, we are coming but... from a context specific. You're right. It's totally, totally not that way everywhere. So we're lucky. Yeah. So yeah. They, so we got into this conversation and I basically said, Oh yeah, you know, your, your mom and I have this, this alternative relationship and like we have romantic relationships and you know, you know, Melissa, she's, this is obviously a romantic relationship. Did you know about this? Like, how do you feel about it? And they're like, yeah, it's all great. Of course we knew. <laughs> wasn't even, wasn't even like threatening to like, like not even at all. And, uh, and I, so maybe we're just lucky uh, that we, we didn't have that, but I think because we'd normalized the human experience and Melissa was part of that, that day to day or week to week experience, I think that meant the kids didn't feel any threat. They didn't see it as, uh, didn't see Melissa as a threat at all or the model as a threat. Cause up to that time I'd been coming over occasionally, they'd see me like when I picked him up maybe, or, mm-hmm. um, uh, they'd have me over for dinner, like with his nesting partner and the kids and we're, we're all mm-hmm. there. And so they could see, they already knew about the relationship. And so then it was just like, Oh yeah, she's my girlfriend. And they're just like, Oh yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> oh. And that guy that picks up mom, like that's her boyfriend. They're like, mm-hmm, yep, yeah, sure. which is totally way easier than you thought yeah (laughs) yeah 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 well it's it's just so interesting i mean the the generation they're growing up in is just so different and it's amazing what society will do to 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 destroy that ability to accept Mm. alternative things like that Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 thank you for sharing that about about kids because it's it's uh so i mean very common trying to figure out how to navigate that, yeah, that piece. Yeah, hard one. Yeah. Like, the hardest, yeah, I mean, yeah. The hardest part for me has always been coming to grips with my own, my own upbringing and demons about that. And you, yeah, actually maybe not everyone will have that easy challenge, but, but I do think it's, uh, yeah, it's all about looking for opportunities and 
waiting for the kids to to be ready, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, do you mind digging into that a little bit? Like what, like your upbringing versus what you're doing versus how you're trying to upbring, like bring up your kids upbring. and like, upbring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's actually what I I see polyamory. The, like the model, the 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 values of polyamory actually to be just good relationship values in general. So I don't think they're specific. I think you know when I think about freedom and choice, like freedom, freedom to choose, choosing consciously, good communication, all those aspects of of relationship that are so crucial in poly because it's so complex that we have to work on. I think are actually really being taught in, in even in the school system, right? Like I know it's those conversations are being had. I mean, we didn't talk about consent at all when I was a kid. I don't remember a single conversation probably wasn't even until my twenties until I was aware, which is sad that there was a active conversation about what does consent look like? So all this stuff was new to me and they're learning it at 12 years old, 11 years mm-hmm. old in schools. Right. So I think it's a different context, but, but, because of that gap in context, I didn't understand the, the, their, their level of perceived threat and what I probably have internalized as an, as a, as an old person. <laughs> you know, that that's different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to get that perspective, almost like your kids normalized it for you. Like you're worried yeah. about it yeah. and you go to talk to them and then you're like, I don't know what the hell I was worried about. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I know I keep yeah. sort of, keep sort of waiting for the aftershocks, but it never hasn't happened. So far, so good. They are teenagers now, so you never know. But <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> they, don't, yeah. they don't seem to ask a ton of questions, and they don't seem at all bothered by seeing us together, and we have fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And like when you, if you come over and hang out, like it's just all, you just have fun together and feels, yeah. feels pretty normal. Like they don't even flinch if I'm downstairs when they come down. They're like, oh, yeah. Hey. Yeah. In fact, it's the only time my kids will choose to play board games anymore as <laughs> if Melissa comes over. Or like, it's like hardwired into there. Like, oh, it's board game, mate. Melissa's over. <laughs> well, not I love it. Play with their parents, but no. no. So I, we basically use Melissa for, for family time now. Yeah. I for, think, for board games. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's an interesting relationship though because I feel like kind of like like the like the auntie or like the family friend as opposed to I'm not in a like mm. a stepmother role at all. I don't desire that and mm. I don't and it's not expected of me, which is kind of cool because I have friends who are in relationships, monogamous relationships with divorced men and they have to step into this mother role even mm-hmm. though they have a mother, but like it's when it's your time, you're the stepmother and and it's nice to just be like, like casual and fun, the mm-hmm. fun person, mm-hmm. <laughs> more fun. Yeah. yeah. Right. More like an, like you said, an aunt role or an something. Aunt. Like yeah. That's yeah. what it feels to me. Yeah. 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 I love it. And I, I, this conversation is really fun. Like hearing like the two worlds that have come together and how you two have created it and sculpted it over the last five years. And like, it sounds like it looks way different today than on day one. And I mm-hmm. think just that ability to be fluid and adapt and flex and grow is, is awesome. Yeah. And one thing I don't think, I don't think we touched on, <laughs> I could be misremembering, but Melissa, do you have any other partners? Yeah, I didn't mention. Um, so Tim is my only sort of committed long-term partner. I have a few sort of, you know, friends with benefits. 
I really worked in the past five years pretty hard on expanding my poly community, both with and outside of Tim. So mm-hmm. because I'm the one who doesn't have kids, who doesn't have a nesting partner. So I have free time on my hands that he doesn't have. So, um, and around the time that we met, I was also new to the city. So I ended up building friendships through Polly. So either people that I had dated and it didn't work out, but have remained friends or just people I've met through other Polly partners and things. So I do have, I'd say two right now, I'd have two sort of like friends with benefits and, uh, situations. And we also hang out platonically and they also have other partners and we all hang out. So it's, yeah, it's nice. I don't have any like long-term committed partners though right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm going to like Tim, since you haven't mentioned, you don't have any other partners outside of your nesting partner and Melissa at this point. Correct. Well, well I'm going to be probably in the same situation. Like, well, okay. We actually share, share one of these friends, friends who, benefits, who yeah. is a, like, well, actually heard on your podcast. Someone used the term sex friend. I was like, oh, yeah. that, I like that term. Like it's, it's friends with benefits. I actually don't like Perfect. Term <laughs> friends with benefits very much because it, it conjures a certain, maybe it's that old school kind of like sex negativity thinking, but it's actually like real friendship with sex involved, right? That's, yeah. that's yeah. sort of how we, how I've been thinking of it. So I do nurture a couple of friends like that that are very kind of intermittent and fun and light, mm-hmm. light friend connections where sex is involved. So yeah, that and, and I think we both, I think that's one of the things that Melissa and I kind of enjoy together. It's one it's part of our dynamic as we enjoy the conversations that that talking about sex and exploration bring. So I think we I feel like we mutually support each other in those and like encouraging each other to have those experiences and and um explore that that wonderful side of Polly that uh that's a yeah. We have a, we have a very kitchen table approach. Like I like all my partners to know each other mm-hmm. and he likes knowing them and he maybe doesn't have the same amount of time to nurture those relationships. But like you said, we have one female friend that we both see together and separately and mm-hmm. we're enjoying that. And I have a male partner that I see sometimes and we, but and we might, we're all hanging we out. We rock climbing together with yeah, them. So we, we kind of have this yeah, more kind of flowy yeah. dynamic. It's great. Yeah. Cool. No, that's amazing. I don't think, I don't feel like a strong need, like being poly for me isn't necessarily about having a lot of partners. It's just more about the freedom to be, yeah, to relate to people in whatever way feels right and not be just, you know, only have sex with this one person. But like, it it really doesn't have to be, I don't feel like I need like a second long-term partner. I might find one at some point, but I'm not like, I'm not out there searching for it necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. No, Mm -hmm. thank you both for like, for correcting me too, because I was making assumptions, but that's what I was hoping you would do is jump in and be like, no, this is how it looks. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, one of the things too, that you also in your email was about like, there's a lot of misconceptions around maybe your relationship because you're not quote unquote primaries or there, mm-hmm. you know, there's kids involved. And so like, what are, what are some of the other like misconceptions or things you two come up against stigmas you come up against that like, you've had to sort of work through or correct, you know, you've just corrected Emma for being wrong. And no, <laughs> like, no, along the way, like, what are, what are some of these other ones that like, you just want to like dispel in the world while you've got the yeah. voice to do it. <laughs> you got a soapbox? 
No, uh, <laughs> get on it. Get up on it. It's fine. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what the what the myth is, but I think the way we've kind of dealt with it, like Tim has friends that were predated Polly, and mm-hmm. I have also have friends that predated Polly, and I think it's a little bit different how we, you know, uh, come across to those people. So the people that I've made friends with since becoming Polly, who are also Polly, those are the people who we show up as a couple, as the couple, right? Even though he has another partner and, and then he has this other set of friends where he and his nesting partner show up as the couple. And it's interesting trying to Mm -hmm. like, make those worlds collide. And I think we just had a conversation earlier today, about how, well, maybe they don't have to collide. Like maybe we're okay <laughs> being like, yes, you have to wear sort of two different hats, but, um, and then me, I show up on my own too. Like mm-hmm. I'm part of a couple, but I'm also my own person and I have my own relationships with these people. So like when someone's having a party in our poly community, they'll invite us both separately like they'll invite us together and they'll invite us separately. It's kind of interesting that, that whole dynamic, but, yeah. um, but I'll, I can like show up on my own. I don't need a partner, I guess, which is mm-hmm. kind of fun. It's kind of a solo poly thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, that's, I think that if I'm not sure if this is unique in like the way we're operating, but I think the blend of like when people say solo poly, I, I think maybe there's a, my in my senses might be a misconception that that means one thing, and I think I've learned in in you know in the time I've been with Melissa that solo poly act, there's as much range in solo poly as there is in poly as yeah. there is in relationship, and so when we talk about solo poly, like I feel like you kind of flip between like the kind of the stereotypical solo poly, which is like my my primary relationship is with myself, but I actually feel when you said I think you mentioned the was it. I'm not sure who's mentioned primary, the word primary, but I actually feel like we're primary relationship, right? Like, so I'm like, are we solo poly? Are you solo poly? Are we in a primary relationship? Setting aside the labels, I think we're kind of in this hybrid dynamic that doesn't actually fit smoothly into those categories, which I like is really kind of cool. The stereotype for solo poly, I think I see on like online forums and things like that is you don't want to have any serious relationships. You just want to have casual relationship. Totally not the case for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Like I very much wanted, and I think that's why I was attracted to Tim in the first place. I very much wanted a committed relationship. I just didn't want an enmeshed relationship Mm -hmm. where I was sharing my finances, my house. Like I wanted my independence. So that's why it worked out so perfectly. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I only want casual relationships. So yeah, if depending on how you define primary, like if primary means someone that you're in love with and that you see on a regular basis and that you trust completely and that you tell everyone, then absolutely we're primary, but that doesn't stop me from being solo poly as well. I I think. Yeah. 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 And I love that too. Like you don't have to have a combined checking account to, to qualify for (laughs) primary for anything right and and really what is primary and like you said like the label doesn't even really matter it doesn't like it's like we're tim and melissa here's what that looks like yeah Yeah. how about how about you just accept that and don't worry about (laughs) yeah the label so yeah Yeah. it's but it's it is it's such an interesting because we're also programmed for labels and i i also had the thought of like you know like you said that your predated friend groups like you're known as Tim and 
and you know, I don't know what your other partner's name is, but you're known as Tim and your other partner. And when you go places, you're known as Tim and Melissa. And, and then all of a sudden Tim and Melissa show up to one of these other places and people are just like, Hmm, I'm used to Tim and I'm used to Tim and somebody else. And like, maybe if it's not even negative, but like it is, it messes with people. They're like, well, I'm just used to that. And it's like, yeah, yeah. That's like a, it's actually a really hot, hot topic for the two of us right now, or and maybe it's more for me because I'm realizing the, that labeling, like it's always been for years since we've been together, like really important, I think for both of us to feel like we can show up someone to somewhere together, like, mm-hmm. and be seen as a, as a partnership. And, mm-hmm. and that I think once I realized that, once you once I realized that was important to me, then it opened the door to be to figure out okay how do we how do we how do we do that like how do we maintain that as an important item and how do we take an action to make sure we're showing up together and it's really easy to slide into um, confusion right because you as soon as you get into communities with other people who are the seers who are the people looking in the relationship mm-hmm. they get confused about about what that means right and even i mean, can i give the example we had a little dinner party with some mutual poly friends and my my nesting partner came as well so it was five of us and it was really funny because we went married couple who were poly and then these two and then me yeah and also we have relationships within those relationships so yeah complex so at, at, at melissa, <laughs> melissa was hosting she's a fantastic you know she brings people together that's one of her her gifts so we're sitting there and trying to def- like you can just feel the definitions shift within the group and then in that setting it was pretty easy but even even with that small kind of that crucible of of people i feel that instant conflict of like am i showing up with Melissa, or am i showing up with my other partner or actually even more because that other couple just happens to be the same friend that's our friend with our sex friend. Our sex friend. <laughs> okay, this is this is trippy. What are she we? She and her husband. Yeah. <laughs> Even with poly people, I mean, I was talking to her, the the woman afterwards, and they're poly people, and they've been poly for a long time, but they were still like, we're, we we want to have a brunch, and we want you to come, but now does that mean we have to invite Tim's other partner? Like. Is yeah. that an automatic, like, is that a no-no if we don't? Like, who's the couple here? Like, even poly <laughs> people are just like, and it's like, well, we both are, yeah. <laughs> but we're not a triad. So yeah. we don't all go together, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think we came to the awareness, I think, just today when we we're talking about this this morning, that we actually have to manage that. Like, I, I th- you have to manage that with other people and help them do the emotional labor that goes with showing up in a, as a non-traditional format and, and specifying, well, okay, yes, that was a nice dinner party we had, but that does not mean it's okay. Like giving permission for it to be okay to not have that be a given next time. And just because it shows up one way, one time, we're actually have to choose it each time. And there are some people in our lives that I just don't think it's worth the effort. Like I think even my parents, like they, they are aware of the situation, but they don't really ask about it. And I think they're uncomfortable with it. And so like, he hasn't actually met my parents, even though they don't live that far away, because I just feel like that it's just not worth it. Like I don't have a close enough relationship with them to make, to force it down their throats. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's uh, too much, too, Mm -hmm. too much. And I'm just happy to keep it separate because it's just too much work on my part and their part. And, 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that makes sense. And sorry, go No, ahead. you're good. Yeah. That leads me to another question of just how open are you in your lives with, with family members and other friends about the relationships and, and how does that work? Yeah. Um, I, all the important people in my life, like the people I trust in my life know the situation. Um, there's been a couple of friends that I grew apart from because they weren't as supportive as I was hoping, unfortunately. Um, but not too many, like most people are supportive and they're just like, you do you, whatever makes you happy. Maybe a little concern, like, is this really what you want? But then they know me well enough to know, yes, I, I know myself and I know what I want and that he, he is good to me. And yeah. So, and then like, we'll go out in public. Like we always have from the very beginning, not hidden the fact he's never hidden the fact that he's poly. Really? (laughs) I mean, we've gone out in public and like we'll hold hands and you know, we, we've rarely run into people that didn't know, but knew you. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's interesting because I'm always cognizant. Maybe I care too much about this stuff. I don't know, but cognizant that the emotional labor required, like what's the cleanup required if some somebody sees something, right? So I'll give a specific example. Walking, Melissa and I walking down the street, my, the street of my my house and my nesting partner, holding hands, not expecting to see someone, outraces one of my other partners uh, up from a house. We're walking by someone's house and outraces this other my other partner's colleague, work colleague, who's also a neighbor. And, and I usually kind of I cognizantly scope the, the scene to see what kind of emotional cleanup I might have to do and like (laughs) to try and explain the weird thing that someone's going to see, which is the deviant behavior of being, you know, in love with someone else. Right. So, so, but But you're walking down this, your own street where she could easily see us. So it's like, obviously we're not hiding anything. So it's weird. (laughs) Well, we're not, we weren't hiding, but like I could see on her face, she was like confused. Okay. (laughs) And so I, I went home and told my nesting partner, you know, it might, you know, sorry to ask you to do this, but this is what happened. Can you just, do you mind sending a little note to say like all cool from your perspective? Because like, like it's just gonna, I don't want that to be become bigger than it is. And so she, she did, she sent a note out to this work colleague said, yep, this is all above board. Just wanted to make sure Tim told me you, you saw Melissa and Tim holding hands. And so I just wanted to make sure you knew that was not nefarious behavior. (laughs) So, and it was all cool. cool, And and actually I think it was appreciated by the work colleague actually, because it did, it did create harm, right? Like I'm cognizant Mm -hmm. that it creates. And she's probably sitting there thinking, what's my obligation now to tell if it's it's an affair. Right. But yeah. Well, that's no, I think that's super self-aware. Like, yeah, because there's the impact on, on you, Tim, right? You could easily just go to the self-centered place of like, they think I'm a cheater and that's what's going to happen. But it's also, yeah, uh, maybe they do. But now they're sitting there burdened with this information. And yeah. what do they do with it? Right. Yeah. And so you're it really is like letting them know, like, you don't you're not bearing any weight here. Like, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I think that's that is one of the. I think that's come for me, that comes with what it means to be poly because I think that self-awareness and the care, the extension of care to other people, even people, you don't metamors, right. That you don't necessarily get to meet all the time. That extension of care is actually core to, to the, how I would operate, want to operate in poly. So I think that extends to community or family or whatever context. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I totally get that. I was I was curious, and I'm I'm nervous about asking this question because <laughs> I don't know what it's going to do. Um, but you you had kind of touched on a few minutes ago, Melissa, about like having not really told your family or not introduced your family to Tim, and and listening to I would say like Dan Savage over the years, you hear often a lot about like partners who are like, hey, you know, we've been going together for years, and like they're like hiding me. And, and I think a lot of the time it's in the context of maybe like uh, a gay couple where they're not out or something to that effect. And it's like, look, I don't want to be pulled back in the closet with you. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, like for, from your perspective, Tim, like where does it land for you that like you're sort of kept a secret mm-hmm. to her family? It's not nope. a secret, no. though. Like, they're nope. fully aware. Like, I talk about him all the time. Okay. They know yeah. that we're spending time together. A couple times they've called when he's been there, and he's been like, hi, in the background. What I've what I've not done is ha- said, hey, Tim, let's set up a time where we go and we visit my parents and you meet them face-to-face. And it is less to do – it's not really about hiding. Yeah. It's more about the fact that my parents are n- – they don't get it, and I just yep. don't – like, but when they don't get it, like they're, they would probably never do anything out of line. Like they would probably be perfectly sure. pleasant and nice, but like, it's just uncomfortable for me. It's like, I don't want to have to explain mm-hmm. myself and why and all this and have them kind of judge me. So I don't know, maybe they wouldn't even do that, but it just, we have, we have not, a we don't have oodles and oodles of time that we get to spend yeah. together. So I don't want to spend it with my parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I get that. Yeah. You can talk that. about how it affects you, but yeah. Well, yeah. I just had a little aha moment actually, as yeah. you were talking and that from that question, because this is why I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good one actually. Cause it's, you know, the, I'm just realizing one of the principles, you know, the, when we're talking about kids and, the principle of waiting for them to be ready, right? Mm-hmm. Waiting for them to be ready to do the emotional labor because I think that's what it's about. And in some circumstances, um, like the circumstance can impose emotional labor on people, like the work colleague example of walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, impose something on someone where they weren't ready, weren't necessarily ready to see it, right? Mm-hmm. Weren't to do the emotional labor. So I think I feel obligated to do the emotional labor if there's harm being committed. And I think this is with your parents. It's really interesting because it's not that they don't know about me. I've actually talked to to them on the phone, you know, Mm -hmm. like once just in passing and kind of, it was super awkward and and weird, but like, we're not hiding my existence. Melissa, I know talks about you, but they don't actually do the emotional labor of inviting, right? They, I'm, I'm, I think we're both maybe waiting for that. I don't know if this is my aha. I'm like, maybe, that's the secret is like we're waiting for someone to be ready to do the emotional labor mm-hmm. and invite. And until that happens, there's no point that like you don't, you're just imposing something on someone they're not ready for. Um, and I'll give us actually, I'll extend, extend the story a little bit because this last year um, I had on my plan, it was really important to me to tell my parents because I hadn't, hadn't come out to my parents about our lifestyle. And I was talking about this for years, as Melissa knows, and is smiling. I didn't think it would ever happen. (laughs) And I was trying to get the nerve up, which is funny because in retrospect, I didn't need to have the nerve um, because they were so awesome about it. So we basically, I wrote a big, well, and the reason was I was waiting, maybe I was waiting for my own readiness to come out of the closet a little bit on this Mm. because what happened was I was sitting with my parents, I think it was over Christmas or March break or something a couple of years ago. 
and my kids were talking about Melissa's cats and how, because we go over to Melissa's house and play with her cats all the time. And they, they have this little bond with the cats and Melissa's house. And, and so we're talking with my parents about Melissa and about Melissa's cats and spending time with Melissa. And I was like, I could just feel my blood pressure going up in that. Cause I was like, my parents are going to be going, who's Melissa? Why is she coming up in this conversation so yeah. many times? <laughs> and, and so I actually got, I felt the body reaction of tense tension. Right. And, uh, cause there's no way he was going to ask his kids yeah. to lie or make something up. Mm-hmm. Me, yeah. Right. And then I think that was the awareness. I was making my kids at a risky place of in the awkward place of not being able to tell the full story. So they were probably picking up that energy. So I was like, that was a turning point or I knew I needed to write my parents a letter. I needed to do it to make my kids feel like they were completely okay to talk about this relationship with whoever they wanted to. And so I wrote a big letter, explained background, you know, put a bunch of links in because my dad's quite academic and he, he likes to know, know like, you know, like data. I'm sure he read every single one of them. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, I got calls from both of them independently and they're like, we don't, we don't know how you do it, but this is quite cool and I'm glad it's working for you. Like they were <laughs> super positive. Um, my, my nesting partner and I, she also, we decided to do this together because our parents actually talked to each other. So we figured we can't do one without the other mm-hmm. completely different reaction from her parents, quite a disappointing reaction, like fingers and ears. We don't want to hear about it. Please don't talk about it anymore. And so that's, they weren't ready to do the emotional labor. My parents were, we, we did it f- for the kids to make sure they had that sense of security mm-hmm. and safety. Um, and then kind of had to let go of the, the reaction, right? <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, is hard to you do. You can't control the reaction. Yeah. No. It's, it is what it no. is. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. Thank you for sharing all that. And I'm just curious, when you said the really quick, your epiphany about being invited, what you're, I guess, just to clarify, like you're meaning if Melissa's parents were to one day say like, hey, you talk about Tim a lot. Who Who is Tim? Like, love to meet yeah, him. Like if... if yeah. 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 They've never okay. once expressed interest in meeting them and even i sort of like ran it by them not too long ago and said hey tim and i are going to be like within a half an hour from your place on this day but like they didn't like bite on it Mm -hmm. i think it's probably because actually you know for many years before i met tim i was single and i've also had other long-term relationships in my life and i've never been super sharing of my partners with them like i I, you know, I, I'm a little embarrassed of them sometimes, you know, like they're a little too maybe conservative in many ways. So it's just kind of like, ah, this isn't a reflection of what I, so I just, I just, it's just how our dynamic is. I think more yeah. it has nothing to do with Tim or being ashamed or anything like no. that. Yeah. No. Got it. Yeah. And when you say you're a little embarrassed, not of your partners, of your no, parents. No, no. Parents <laughs> might say, like, you know, like they might say something like, you know, semi-racist or <laughs> like homophobic or something. I'm just like, no. They're no. the boomers, right? Exactly. We understand. <laughs> they grew up in the country. Yeah. So it's not, it's not my, I just no. don't want to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So I totally get it. Yeah. Totally get it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I should I should say this is not like this issue of of communicating with people who are un unready to understand poly like is a real because I've come from a relationship where I had established friendships for many 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 years that still to this day I, I, you have a fairly clean slate when you came 
in, into the city and you, you were like started setting up a community so you could pick and choose the people. But I had this legacy of friends who even to this day, it's actually a bit of a challenge because a lot of the, like, you know, I've got friends who've grown up, my kids have grown up with their kids and, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, I'd say acceptance and toleration, but not many questions being asked about Polly, not much invitation to Melissa. Same thing. Like these people are not ready. They're not, not ready to do the emotional labor. And that actually does really tend to detract from commitment to like my commitment to wanting to keep, keep investing in those friendships when they're not able to, to accept where, where I'm at. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. And I actually had a, had a real conversation with a friend recently where we're talking about emotional labor and she just, I kind of pressed said, you know, what is you ever think you might be ready to meet Melissa? Cause I'd love to, love to introduce you. And she basically looked at me and said, you know, I'm not ready for, I, I hate to say it, but I have to admit, I don't have the energy for the emotional labor that's required to communicate with a new person to figure that out. Like, sorry. And I'm still sitting with that like months later, kind of what do I do with that information? Right. It's a, it's just a fact of value, value conflict, I think. But it yeah. may not always always be that way it's too. True. Like that's the yeah. thing. People evolve and change and maybe one day she'll come to you and say like, I, I think I'm ready or you, maybe yeah. that day will never come. You don't know, but you'll have, you have to decide for you. Are you comfortable sitting in that space? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. 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 Do you have any more questions? I mean, we could talk, keep going, but. <laughs> yeah, I think this has just been such a great conversation and I've really enjoyed it. And it, you know, it hasn't followed like our typical trajectory because it, and I love that, like it forces us to, to ask different questions. It, it forces different conversations. And I think it's really touched on a lot of things that we haven't. So I just have a lot of gratitude for both of you for like, for reaching out, for coming on and for bringing a, bringing a new twist to us. And now, and I will say not a new twist to the world of non-monogamy because I believe what you two are doing is very prevalent, but we've never had the opportunity to talk about it like this. In so, this dynamic, yeah, yeah, so in this way. You. Yeah. That's great. Is there anything right. else that either of you would like to get out there? I think we covered a lot of ground. I really was hoping to represent, as you said, the, a, a slightly different take on Polly, hmm. um, that was not just your traditional, cause I, I've listened to your podcast and I, I know you have a lot of people who talk about all the challenges of opening their relationship, which is really important, but this is, this is a relationship that's been open from the beginning and that's an interesting thing to navigate with. You've got two different perspectives mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. It was, yeah. So thank you for yeah. having us on. No, of course. And I think it's, it's also, and I know like higher, it sounds like hierarchy is not, you're trying to dispel hierarchy, right. In a lot of ways, but like you've, like we talked about, like it is built in, in some ways. And I think one of the ways that's interesting that it's built in here is in, in some ways, right. Tim almost has like two primaries, right. Two very important committed relationships. Mm -hmm. And, and you, Melissa sort of have one. And so by default, like Tim almost kind of becomes your primary Mm -hmm. where you may not become his. And I know this isn't really fitting for you two, Mm -hmm. but I think this is a thing that happens a lot in the world of polyamory is I have two partners. One of my partners only has one. I'm their primary, but maybe they're not mine. And that can be, that can be an imbalance. That's just present. Yeah. Yeah. I went through periods of time where I thought 
I really need to find my own quote unquote primary to make this feel more balanced. And I think I'm Mm -hmm. past that now, but I think that's why we've lasted as long as we have is because there are probably a lot of women in my situation who would not be satisfied with this type of relationship, but uh, the way I am and the, how much I value my independence and, and freedom is that I, if I'm honest with myself, I don't want someone in I don't want the enmeshment anyway, bottom line. And, and all I really wanted, I think in the end was just a person to love and love me and spend time together and have fun and be committed. And I didn't need to, to go beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it takes so much self-awareness and that can be a journey too. Cause like Mm -hmm. you said, you struggled with that and like, I needed to go find this other person, but hang on actually what works for me and what are my needs? And do I, like, do I really want that? Do I like having more of my independence and just time to myself and love it? Like, (laughs) yeah. Right. And so, but you have to, sometimes it's a journey of figuring that out because it's the outside pressure of like, Hey, this isn't, this isn't exactly like mirrored on either side. There's, you know, you automatically go, is there something wrong with that? And no, there's yeah. not. But it's a matter of like what works for you. But you have to, that takes a lot of self-awareness. When, actually, everything you just said, all those questions, like that, I think that's one of the things I admire most about Melissa. And and maybe that's where the, like, the, the important part of this from a polyamory, I think it's actually just a life skill, not a polyamory skill, right? Like everybody should be asking themselves those questions and touching base and not making the assumptions about, you know, not, not, not letting things go because they, they haven't done the work. So I think polyamory and the way we've approached it has forced those conversations. So it's, I don't think it's an end state. You, like Melissa might very well come to the conclusion she needs more of a primary down the road and that's okay. Right. And I think that we can. Yeah. I'm 45. I don't think I'm going <laughs> to need somebody Maybe. in my space. Like I think I'm pretty set in my way. I don't think so either, but <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> you never know. But I never, but that was, I think a problem when I was a single person dating in a monogamous world, I was always like, this person's great, but I can't be in a relationship with them because they I don't get everything from them. And mm. it didn't occur to me like, Oh, actually you can have more than one relationship until I, got into this relationship, I was like, Oh, wait a second, this relationship actually meets my needs. And it doesn't saddle me with all those things I don't want. So it's yeah. kind of perfect that way. And it's, yeah. <laughs> and then well, and I, have sex with other people too. And that's great. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and I, I love too the, that you get rid of the idea then that commitment only comes if you have a house together, have kids together, maybe are married, maybe like, so like commitment can be commitment by itself. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a joint checking account. You don't have to have an apartment or a house or a business. Like it can just be like, we've decided to choose each other and be in this relationship. And I think yep. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not supposed to end our podcast by me saying something. <laughs> <laughs> but you two need to say something wisdomous now. Oh, that's a lot uh, of pressure. I mean, I just, thank you for, I mean, I think, I think it's great what you're doing and creating a space for these kind of yeah. dialogues. Cause I think it's like, if, if I've learned anything from Polly, it's there's a lot of strength to be taken from other people's stories and inspiration and like n- the little nuggets that get dropped and start good conversations. That's what it's all about. So thank you for inviting us on and thanks for doing what you're doing. Cause it's yeah. really crucial. I'm more of a podcast person than he is. And so I told him about your podcast and he's like, well, what is the, 
what is the point? And I said, well, it's in the name, normalizing non yeah. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. We can do that. <laughs> yes, I yes, I love it. And thank you for those kind words. And, and thank you for reaching out and coming on and everything you shared. And uh, yeah, just have a wonderful rest of your day. And we're excited to get this story out there as well. Thank you. Thank you. It's great talking. And we're back. A huge thank you to Tim and Melissa for coming on the podcast and for sharing your story. We loved chatting with you and we're excited to get this out there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both for everything. Quick reminder, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There you can buy your very own shirt that says give love. And we'd love to have you spread the word. So share this news with everyone, please. (laughs) Yeah. And a reminder, if you're out there giving too much love, well, there's not such a thing as too much love, but if you're giving a lot of love, you might want to get tested for STIs. <laughs> Good segue. You know, I set that up beautifully. I know, I'm sure. <laughs> so our favorite way to do this when we're giving love to everybody is to use a service called stdcheck.com. This is a service Emma and I use, have been using for years. It's the service we use to get tested. We absolutely love it. The link's on our website under the resources page or in your podcast show notes. Save you $10 and support the show financially. So thank you in advance for doing that. Again, it is fast, it is easy, and with those discounts, it brings the cost down to about $130 for a 10-panel test, and we appreciate it. So go give love, but before you do, get tested so you can give love responsibly. (laughs) Perfect. You nailed it. That's going to be the next shirt. Give love responsibly, (laughs) sponsored by (laughs) stdcheck.com. I'll send him an email when we get done recording. Yeah, I think that's perfect. Anyway, a quick reminder again, on our website, you can find podcast show notes, links to our Patreon, links to the meet and greet, which the next one will be in August. You can sign up for our mailing list to be the first to know about all of these things uh, and also contact us. So everything there, right on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And next week, we've got a fantastic conversation with Marla. You might remember Marla from over 100 episodes ago episode 132 from actually two years ago. July 2020. Marla is the founder of Sex Down South, an awesome, amazing sex positive conference in Atlanta. And so we talked to her about the conference. We talked to her about relationship updates. She's had a baby. There's so much going on. And it's a wonderful conversation. So we will see everybody next week for that. In the meantime, don't forget to get your shirt. (laughs) Yes. Plug those shirts. Plug those shirts. Yep. Can you tell we're super excited about our first ever shirts? And if you go to the website, you get to see Emma and me wearing the shirts. That's true. And if you sign up for the email list, you also get to see pictures of Emma and me wearing the shirts. That's true. So you're going to get lots of pictures of us wearing the shirts. (laughs) Go check out the shirts. I think we've we've, uh, annoyed them enough, don't you think? I do believe so. We'll (laughs) see everybody in a week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.